The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Uh, first principle we see here is that Jacob definitely was a hard worker. Uh, and it's, it's interesting as you examine Jacob's life before he comes to in, uh, this region of Padan Haram and he was at home, he's really transforming into a different kind of guy. Before he counted on scheming and plotting and conniving to get his way, now he really has changed his ways. And he's very much a guy who digs in and... Uh, labors hard. Uh, So we see him working hard. And it's interesting, uh, one of the things that hard work ought to accomplish is it ought to be done to bless others. One of the reasons that we work and one of the motives for our labor ought to be to bless others. And uh, certainly that had been the case with Jacob and Laban. And uh, the scene here is that uh, Jacob has now had child number 12. He's got four wives. And he's been in uh, laboring for Laban for uh, 14 years. And his focus is now starting to turn back toward home. And he's starting to feel the longings for his family, for his parents. Uh, I think that he's remembering the promise God made to him that uh, God was going to give him the land of Canaan. In fact, you see that in some of the language he uses. He says, let me return to my home and my country. He knows that that his future is not here. His future is in the land of Canaan and with the promise of God. So he's thinking about those kinds of things and he comes to Laban and he he wants to be released. He's asking permission to resign from his post and he really wants at this point to leave and go home. Uh, But Laban has been very blessed by Jacob's labor, right? And he says, there's two ways to translate this and translators or scholars are divided on the best. It could be, um, I have become wealthy for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Or it can be translated, I have discerned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Either way, the point is, Laban knows that uh, it's been good having Jacob as an employee. It's been very good. Uh, Jacob has worked hard. Jacob has been diligent. And as a result, Laban's estate has greatly grown and expanded. Right? And he's much wealthier, he's much better off. And he acknowledges that, uh, that this was the result of, of, Lab- of Jacob's hard work, but also uh, he acknowledges that it's because God was with him. Uh, so his labor uh, was a blessing to Laban, but it also was a witness to the power of God at work in Jacob's life. Um, he had been very diligent in his service, and not under the most ideal of circumstances, Laban had really tricked and cheated him into this labor, right? Uh, The first seven years he did joyfully. The next seven years were maybe a bit of a bitter spot of contention for Jacob because he'd been tricked into it. But nonetheless, Jacob worked diligently and he worked hard. Uh, One of the things that our work should do is it should be a blessing to others. Uh, This really points back to the... uh, covenant promise to Abraham and again to Isaac and to Jacob that you will be a blessing but you also were to be a blessing to others right? 
And that's really true for all of us. And uh, it's not any different for us as believers in Christ. God is blessing us. He's at work in our life. And we ought to be the kind of laborers, workers, employees who bring blessing to those that we serve and work for. Right? Whether it's our boss, whether it's a group of people that we're ministering to. Uh, the bottom line is when we come to the end of our term and we come to them and we say, you know, I'm, I, I'm here to tell you that I'm, I'm going to resign. They should be saying what Laban's saying. Right? They should be saying, oh, please don't go. You've been such a blessing. We have been blessed and enriched by your presence here. Okay. You don't want to hear them say, it's about time. <laughs> you know, let's, when can we throw the farewell party? Right? That's not a good sign, not a good witness. Right? Uh, and this goes if you are, it doesn't matter how old you're young, if you're a student, right? if you're a student, your labor in the classroom, your work as a student ought to be a blessing in the classroom. Your teachers at the end of the year should be sad to see you go, not throwing a party. Okay? If they're celebrating, especially the fact that you're graduating, okay, it's not a compliment. Right? We should be a blessing. Um, we should do that, for one, because it's what work is about. Work is, it is our blessing others. Right? It is us serving the body of Christ. It's serving the greater world at large. It's serving um, those who are our neighbors. Uh, so... That's one of the functions or purposes of work. But also, we should be a blessing because it is a powerful witness that God is with us. Right? Uh, we should leave behind us a, a wake of success and, and blessing in those around us as a witness that God was with us. And if you remember, before Jacob came to uh, live with Laban, on his way, he stopped at Bethel and he had the dream and God met him on the the stairway with the angels. And God promised him, he says, don't be afraid, for I will be with you. I will be with you as you go from here. And uh, his implication in that, in that promise of Bethel, was that Jacob would find success, that God would provide and care for him, and that God would protect him. Uh, Part of our witness to Christ is our work, right? how we work, the effectiveness, the attitude we bring to it, and ultimately the success that we ought to produce as a, as a result of our labor ought to be a witness of God's presence with us. Okay? Uh, Jacob wasn't just successful on human terms. He was supernaturally successful to the extent that Laban identified, you know, this is more than just you. Right? Wouldn't it be great if people came to you as you were leaving and said, you know, we, we see you, we know you, we see how hard you work, but you know what? Your success was far beyond your limited ability. <laughs> You're not that smart. You're not that good. But God blessed you anyway. Right? Uh, that's a great witness that we would see success beyond even our own gifts and abilities. Uh, second thing that we see here, uh, Jacob worked to bless Laban, uh, but also... Jacob started to see after 14 years of working for somebody else, now with 12 children, four wives, lots of mouths to feed, and he's looking at going home. Uh, his thoughts are turning to a, another aspect of work, which is the importance of working to support our family. When he says to Jacob, he says, you know, I've worked hard for you, but what about me? What about my own family? Right? Uh, there is something right about working to support and care for your own family. In fact, Paul and Jesus both affirm that in the New Testament. 
Uh, he who does not work, don't let him eat, right? We ought to be working to support and sustain our own life and our own family. And that is a noble, God-given um, responsibility that we're, and function of work. Uh, we are to provide. And it was right for him to be thinking about this. All right, he's, going, he's thinking about going home. He's thinking about returning to his home country. He's not sure if Esau is real happy with him yet. Uh, he can't go home with this army of family that he's now got, penniless. Right? He needs a way to support and sustain them. And so he's thinking about the priority of, of working for himself. Um, there, there is also a, a principle here that's important for us. Uh, it is okay and right to work for pay, even if you're a Christian, right? even if you're serving God. It's okay to get paid for it. Right? Uh, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me how many churches and Christian ministries and organizations have the notion that because people are you know, called to serve God, I won't say dumb enough, but uh, called to serve God, that somehow they ought to do it for nothing, right? Now, there certainly is a place for serving God voluntarily, and it's a great form of worship, and, and maybe all of us ought to be willing to do that. But there is also a place for working for God in a vocational sense, right? Uh, you know, I, uh, I, I didn't understand really how, how oftentimes people view church, church ministry, Christian work, and paying them until I had my first church back in Colorado, and uh, the, the church paid me this meager salary, and I was actually sent by, their, by a mission who paid the rest of my salary. And one of the obligations of the church with this arrangement is they were supposed to provide a house for us, which they did of sorts. And they finally decided it would be better for the church to build a parsonage, build a house, because it would save them on rent. So we did this whole thing where we were building this parsonage. And I remember sitting in a, in a board meeting with our church leaders discussing what kind of house to build. Big question, right? What kind of house do you build? And the, the real question was not what kind as much as how nice of a house to build. I mean, do we get just like a big tent, you know, or you know, do we go all out and build a mansion? Well, in the midst of this meeting, you know, and I was kind of shooting for something in between the tent and the mansion, kind of middle ground. And uh, I, one of the leaders in the, at the church at the time said, you know, as we're negotiating how big, how fancy, how nice, he said these exact words, I'll never forget. He says, we don't want our pastor living too high, right? He was opting for the tent, right? Well, actually, one step above the tent, right? Uh, and and his, his words and his implication, I think he may have even said this, we don't want him living like the rest of us, because these people lived in nice houses. Believe me, they weren't living in tents, right? They were living in nice houses, but there was this thing that we don't want our pastor living like us. Right? Well, it's a common thinking among Christian people that somehow it's wrong for people in, in full-time vocational work to get paid like everybody else. Because right? they should be doing it for God. Right? That's the logic. They should be doing it for God. We can work for ourselves selfishly. We don't have to work for God. Right? But because they're doing ministry, they have to work for God. Right? And it reveals, uh, it reveals a wrong thinking in this. All work, guess what? All work is to be done for God. Right? All work is worship. All work has value and should benefit God. And all work should be fit, uh, paid fairly. Right? 
Uh, as Christian ministers and workers and uh, missionaries, full-time vocational workers, it doesn't mean we have to be greedy, right? But it is all right to, to lobby for and fight for a fair compensation for your family. I haven't done real well at this actually most of my life. Most of my life I've never made enough to support and sustain my family in Christian work. And it's sad, right? And maybe I should be more vocal. Maybe I should form, you know, the Christian Workers Union or something. I don't know. Uh, uh, The flip side is also this. Uh, We are probably all working for somebody. Many of us are also employers, right? Many of us are also hiring people to work for us. Uh, are, we, are we like Laban, stingy and greedy, too cheap to pay a decent wage, right? Uh, too shrewd to give fair pay to those who work for us or work in our organizations who are part of our ministry? It's an important question. And uh, in this story, Laban is definitely characterized as the bad guy who is stingy and greedy and who wouldn't even take care of his own family, right? Uh, that's not right. Work ought to be a fair uh, means for every person to support and sustain their family. Uh, And and that should be the measure of how we evaluate both what we receive in pay as well as what we give in pay. Regardless of the nature of our work. It doesn't matter if you're a carpenter, uh, if you're in full-time Christian ministry, if you're a street sweeper, we should be striving to um, have a wage that sustains family. Um, third principle uh, Jacob teaches us here is that we need to work to be effective. Now, this is an important one, right? Work to be effective. At the end of this chapter, it says, as a result, Jacob became very wealthy. Okay. Uh, Now, I'm not saying the goal of all of our work. I'm not saying we necessarily need to work to be wealthy. If you are wealthy and God blesses you that way, I hope you'll help me out, right? Or there's a number of other people in this room who could use help, right? Uh, Nothing wrong with wealth and nothing wrong with God blessing you to be very successful. Uh, That's not what I'm saying so much is is your work ought to have some result that produces something, right? Uh, And and his, uh, his work was as a... Um, as a sheep farmer, sheep and goat farmer. And he did very well at this. Okay, so, so much so that he was able to buy many servants and more flocks. His, uh, his flocks and sheep expanded. He had male and female servants. And it says he had many camels and donkeys. Okay, what that means is, you know, he wasn't raising camels and donkeys. It means that he did so well he could buy camels and donkeys. And in that day, camels were essentially your BMW line of, of animal, right? It was high class, right? If you were driving around a camel, you know, you were, you were driving a BMW, right? So he's doing well, right? He's doing well. He knows how to work effectively. Now, this is important uh, because we live in a day and, a where, day and an age where um, many of us grew up with a strong work ethic. But uh, I wonder how much it's really a work ethic or a busy ethic, and there's a huge difference, right? Um, a lot of people have the notion that if I'm busy, then I can feel good about myself, right? But being busy is not the same as working effectively. And the difference is this. Being busy means you spend lots of time doing something. Working effectively means you actually get something done, right? 
not always the same. Okay, I spend a lot of time doing stuff and being very busy and getting nothing done. Right? I spend other times when I worked more carefully and strategically and actually accomplished something. Right? Jacob here is working very strategically. He is not just being busy. Um, in fact, I know one of the, one of the plagues of, of life in our modern age is people are too busy. Right? People are working themselves to death. It's interesting, back in the, uh, the 70s, they did this research and somebody came up with this article that said, with the dawning age of, of electronics and computers and, and all these machines that do work for us, that in the future people would only be working a four-day work week, about 30 hours a week, right? And uh, they envisioned that people would have all this extra time for leisurely activity, right? Okay, we made a wrong turn somewhere, Right? Because uh, I don't see that happening a lot. People instead are working five, six, seven days a week. Uh, <clears throat> they say that in, in the United States, at least 30% of Americans, something like 70 million people, don't get nearly enough sleep. Okay? 70 million people are working around the clock, right? Trying to keep up. Not being effective. Okay? We, we're very good at being busy. <clears throat> but in our busyness... <clears throat> We become very unproductive and ineffective at getting things done. Um, that's not the mission of work. Okay? The goal of work is not just to be busy. Okay? The goal of work is not to stay so busy that you can write home in your newsletters all this list of activity uh, so that people go, wow, they're busy. Well, I'm glad I'm not a missionary. <laughs> I don't want to work myself to death like they do. Right? Uh, but in the end, have nothing to show for it. That's not the point. Work is designed to be productive, to achieve and affect something in the lives of those we are helping and in our own life. Uh, how, well, how did he achieve this? Well, first of all, he was strategic. Okay? Uh, he was, Jacob was very clear about what he wanted to accomplish. And if you remember the story, and the Hebrew in this passage is very complicated, and the translations reflect that, but... Short and, the short version is simply this. He had this great idea. Okay? His idea, his plan, was to specialize in polka dot sheep. Right? Everybody else was doing plain white sheep. He decided, I'm going to do polka dot sheep. Right? Uh, now, the problem with this plan is that uh, most of the sheep that were born, if you're breeding sheep generically, uh, the most common offspring would be plain sheep. A very small percentage would be polka dot sheep. Right? Doesn't, doesn't dissuade him, though, because he has a mission, right? He is going to breed polka dot sheep. Uh, and he's very strategic about this. And he has a plan, and he presents the plan to Laban. And it's a brilliant plan because he's working with a guy who's a cheat and a crook, and he knows it. Uh, he knows that Laban's a great one for, for twisting things at the last minute. Uh, thus, you know, Leah and Rachel story, right? So he has an idea. He goes, you know, I'm going to do this so that there's no question what are my sheep. I'm going to do polka dot sheep, and he can never take my sheep, because it will be obvious the sheep that are mine. Right? So that's his plan. He's very clear about this. I'm going to do polka dot sheep. And so uh, Laban takes all the existing polka dot sheep away, three days journey, so that starting from scratch, from ground zero, uh, with all white sheep, Jacob has a simple task. All he has to do is convince the sheep to produce polka dot sheep. Okay? So he's got to pr- 
convince the plain vanilla sheep to put off polka dot, polka dot offspring. Piece of cake, right? Well, maybe not a piece of cake, but one thing was clear about it. He was very clear and focused about what had to be done. Right? He had a clear mission ahead. Uh, secondly, so he was strategic. Secondly, he did use the technology of the day. Right? So he was strategic, but he also applied what he knew about breeding sheep, and he kind of made some stuff up along the way. And he used kind of the technology of the day. And his technology was this. He, um, he starts a vision-casting plant, a vision-cast polka dot sheep, right? And he does this by cutting down st- trees and peeling the bark off so that he's got striped and polka dot bark, right? And so he vision-casts for these sheep. Okay, here's polka dots. Think polka dots, okay? <laughs> We're all about polka dots here. We're the polka dot company, right? And that's what he does. And at the watering holes where the sheep come and breed, he just, everything's, there's polka dot posters everywhere, right? Because he wants these sheep thinking stripes and polka dots, all right? Now, we look back on this and we go, you know, I'm not sure if that actually had the effect he thought it did. Well, maybe not, right? And, and science can, modern science can look at this and say, you know, that doesn't actually work. You know, like if I want blue children, staring at a blue poster isn't going to br- produce blue children. We know that, right? Well, um, maybe it wasn't the most modern scientific technology. Uh, but, but one thing we can say about him is this. He was very focused on what he was about, Right? Maybe it didn't work. Well, we know it didn't work. Actually, uh, we'll see later that it does work, but it only works because God, uh, God honors what he's doing, and God's working behind the scenes. So it works not because of science. It works because of God. Uh, but the point is this. He was all about one thing, and he wasn't distracted by things that weren't his mission. All right? He was about producing polka dot sheep, and he didn't get sidetracked with other things. All right? He didn't get sidetracked breeding sheepdogs, right? He didn't get, you know, he didn't waste countless hours surfing the internet to network with other polka dot sheep farmers, right? Uh, he didn't get distracted by joining the local polka dot sheep club, right? And become the chairman and president of the local polka dot sheep club. Okay, he didn't he didn't throw away lots of time and energy going to seminars and conferences on raising polka dot sheep, right? He just focused on producing polka dot sheep. Uh, How much do we get caught up in busy things that are distractions from the real work that would produce effects? It's so easy, so easy. Uh, One of the reasons we're so busy is because all this great technology has become a huge distraction. Huge distraction. I I I I have to be very careful... I can just waste tons of time on nothing. Right? He didn't let that happen. Uh, he focused on polka dot sheep. Third thing is he did develop his own knowledge and skill and put it to, to work. Well, I'm not so sure how effective the whole striped stick thing was. One thing was effective. Uh, he began to notice and to, to be very intentional about sorting out healthy sheep from weak sheep. You see, he didn't want a bunch of weak polka-dotted sheep. He wanted strong, healthy polka-dot sheep. And so he starts being very selective in his breeding. And he does two things to do that. One, he only puts the 
polka dot vision casting campaign to healthy strong sheep, right? Not the weak ones. Uh, so that in the end, and we find out later in the story, that God actually honors that and God allows only the strong, healthy ones to breed. Second thing he did is he understood that if a polka dot ram uh, bred with a female, the odds of getting polka dot offspring were increased. So what does he do? Well, he lets only the rams breed, right? So he, he develops knowledge. Uh, he's been doing this now for 14 years. He's been observing how it works, and he applies those things to uh, his goal. But there again, he's very clear about his goal. He's very clear what he's doing. He's very focused on the end result, right? And the amazing thing is it is within a six-year period, he goes from zero to driving a Mercedes, okay? Amway would love this, okay? It's perfect pyramid, pyramid scheme, apparently, right? Um, he's effective in his work, right? Because he's very intentional and clear about what he is about. Um, well, we could, we could end the story there, and it might as well be an Amway talk or some, you know, Zig Ziglar positive, yay, go, work hard thing. And uh, we could all go out and feel good about, yay, I'm going to go work harder. I'm going to be more intentional. I'm going to be more strategic, right? But the story doesn't actually end there. And to, to stop there misses some very important details about what work is. Okay, now I think all those things are true. I think Jacob models those well. But if we stop there, we miss the real, true secret of effective work. Uh, notice how the story goes on. In chapter 31, it says, But Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. Okay, so now the tables turn, right? Uh, how does it feel? Uh, the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives, and I will be with you. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock, and he said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude towards me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages ten times. But God has not allowed him to harm me. For he said, the speckled animals will be your wage. For if he said, the speckled animals will be your wage, the whole flock produced speckled. And when he changed his mind and said, the striped animals will be your wages, then the whole flock produced striped young. And here's the key. In this way, God has taken your father's animals and give them to me. Okay. Jacob knows the key to his success was not his brilliance, not his hard work. He knows that it was God producing the desired result. He goes on, he reveals even more. He pulls back the curtain even more, and he really gives us uh, the full story, right? He says this, the angels, uh, he said, One time during mating season, I had a dream and saw that the male goats mating with the females were polka dot. Loosely translated. Um, then in my dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, and I replied, yes, here I am. The angel said, look up, and you will see that only the polka-dotted males are mating with the females of your flock. For I have seen how Laban has treated you. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, the place where you anointed the pillar of the stone. Now get ready to leave this country and return to the land of your birth. Whole different story. Okay, a whole different picture. Because here's the deal. 
Jacob had a secret weapon from the beginning, right? He didn't tell us this. He didn't tell Laban this, all right? But why did he, where did he come up with this plan? Well, he didn't. God revealed it to him. Yeah, one day I was out in the field, and all of a sudden I noticed uh, God doing something with polka-dotted sheep. God was orchestrating this shift of wealth, right? God had a plan uh, to produce effective results out of Jacob's labor. See, Jacob had a secret weapon, and the secret weapon was God. It was God's idea, and it was actually God that was making it work. Uh, Not only did God have the idea, but it becomes clear from this description here that God had caused the polka dot rams to, to, to fall in love while the plain white rams went off and became Catholic monks. All right? So, you know, you got Mr. Canova, Casanova polka dot, you know, wooing all the ewes while the other plain guys were falling asleep. Right? And what happens? Well, presto, you've got lots of polka dot sheep being born. Right? So it really wasn't so much Jacob's work as it was God working behind the scene. Right? This is important. It's an important lesson for us because it really puts in perspective what true and effective work is. True and effective work is not about our labor, our hard work. It is ultimately about God doing his work in the world and through us. This was really all, from the beginning to end, constructed and done by God himself. He says, I saw how Laban's treated you. I saw he's cheated you. Don't worry, God says. I am with you, and I am going to take care of you, and I got this worked out. Just watch what I will do. Well, uh, what does it mean for us uh, to work with God? I think the biblical principle is this, that for us, our work as believers in Christ, as his children, we work in partnership with God. But exactly what does that mean? You know, if God is God Almighty, creator, sovereign, God can do whatever he wants, does working with God mean I get to, like, go take a nap all day long, play video, video games and eat bonbons. I mean, what does it mean to work with God? Well, I think it's important to um, think that through. And there's certainly a theology of our work in partnership with God. Uh, and here's what I, uh, just briefly, how I would see it lay, playing out. First of all, it's very important that if we work in partnership with God, we need to see what God is doing. Right? Ultimately, the work that will be produced, the work that will be effective, work that accomplishes something, will always be the work that God is doing. It's significant here that Jacob sees what God is about to do. Uh, He's about to produce a bumper crop of polka dot sheep. Now, if if Jacob had thought, you know, I've got this brainstorm, I've got this brilliant idea, I'm going to go raise donkeys, right? Well, that's not the work God was doing, right? And God would have been doing this work all over here while he would have been beating his head against the wall trying to raise donkeys, right? First important principle is that we need to be very clear about the work God is doing. Uh, Jesus himself did this. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Okay, this is Jesus talking. Second person of the Trinity, the guy who created the universe. And this is what he says. 
I can't do anything by myself. I do only what I see the Father doing. I do only what I see the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Uh, if Jesus had to operate that way, if Jesus said, look, for me to be effective working, I have to know clearly exactly what God the Father is doing, and I just go participate with him in his work. If Jesus operated that way, how much more important is it for us to operate that way? If Jesus says, look, I can't do anything apart from the Father, how much more do we need that? How much more? So the first step for us is to be diligently seeking the work that God is doing. What is God's work in this world? What is God's work where you are? What is God's work in your life? Our work ought to be participating side by side with what God is doing. Um, uh, so that brings to the next point. We participate with Him. Right? We will never be successful working apart from God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't go quit our life here, move back to our home country, get a job at Walmart or Home Depot, and uh, get a real paycheck, and then we can't be successful. Okay, we can. It is possible for us to take our own path and work apart from God and be successful. If success simply means getting enough money to buy bread, right? But if, if our vision for work is to be a blessing to others, to truly provide for our family, to glorify God, and to partner with Him in His work, then we've got to know what His work is. Right? If our real concept is that to do work that accomplishes something not only for today but for eternity we've got to know what it is God is doing maybe we should spend less time being busy and being so active and more time seeking God that's the first place work should start seeking what it is God's doing and say God I want to partner with you Jesus modeled that incredibly well daily separating himself out to go pray and seek what God was going to do that day. I love uh, disciples come. Uh, one morning Jesus had departed. He was out in the wilderness praying. Disciples come frantically looking for him. Jesus, people are looking for you. they got plans for you. Uh, Jesus replies, uh, we're leaving here. I have other work that God the Father has given me to do. Right? Seek God. Um, participate with him. Uh, Secondly, as we participate with God, it's important to know that we cannot add anything to what God is doing. Very important principle. We cannot add anything to what God is already doing. Uh, We work to participate with Him, but we're never going to do more than what God is doing. Uh, A couple years ago, I was back in the States and I was doing a small construction project at my daughter's house, and I was doing this uh, in and around and over and through all my grandkids who loved to hang out with me. And they wanted to participate with me in the work, right? So I thought, okay, this is great. Just what I need, right? Three-year-olds helping me do construction work with power tools and stuff. So I, I, I got a two-by-four, big, long two-by-four, and I went and I started about 20 nails in this uh, 
two by four. And I gave them all hammers, and I said, just bang away. Just drive at those nails, you know. And the straighter the better, but whatever, right? And man, they bent a ton of nails. It was great. And they were busy, and they were working with me, right? But the reality is they were never going to do more than I was doing, right? And, and uh, this was very helpful to me because it kept me from, like, stepping on them because I could keep them in one spot. So it was good. They were helping me by doing that, right? But they were never contributing a great deal to the work. Sometimes I kind of think that's how it is with us, you know? God loves it when we participate with Him. He invites us to join Him. How much do we actually contribute to it? Probably not much, actually. You know? Uh, when Jacob was out there peeling logs and making speckled and spotted trees, you know? It kept him busy. I don't know that it actually contributed a lot, right? And God loves it when, we, when we're busy working with Him He's happy for us to join with him. And he knows it's his work. He's not counting on us to contribute our share, right? Uh, Which in the end, um, there's great comfort in this in that uh, it doesn't count on us. The work is not going to fail or be successful because we came through, right? We're going to fail or be successful because God came through, because God did his part, right? Uh, so we participate with God. He is all sufficient. He has everything he needs. He does not need our help, but he invites our participation. Uh, then we do labor diligently. Okay? It doesn't mean we don't help. It doesn't mean we don't labor diligently. God calls us to labor diligently with him. We are to be obedient to him. Okay, God gave... Uh, Jacob the plan, Jacob had to implement it. Jacob had to get to work. He didn't just go home and say, hey, hon, I got the next six years off because God's going to do this cool thing and we're just going to watch. Not at all. God calls us to work. He calls us to participate. He calls us to be part of the process. We are to be obedient. We are to be faithful. We are to serve him. And we are to use our gifts, resources, and knowledge and ability for him. It is our worship. It is how God invites us to worship him by doing all to the glory of God. Um, but the balance of it is that we don't need to overdo it. Right? We should never, ever be burned out in ministry. Okay, I've been burned out in ministry at least four times in my life. Okay? It was not God's will. Okay? It was because I thought the work depended on me. I thought it really mattered what I did. Now I know better. It really doesn't matter, right? Because it's God's work. He's doing it, right? We need to be obedient. We need to be careful to do everything that God calls us to. At the same time, we need to be very careful not to be doing 50 things that he didn't call us to, right? We need to live with balance, And understanding this principle brings balance into our work life. We don't need to work 60, 70 hours a week. And if you are, you need to go back and find out what God's doing. Because I don't think you're doing what God's doing. There may be seasons, there may be weeks when we put in an intense week. But if that's the consistent daily practice of your life, you're missing something. You're missing something. Uh, Lastly, 
We need to acknowledge the true source of success. Uh, in the end, you know, he, didn't, he didn't put this out to Laban for probably good reasons. In the end, though, Jacob comes forth with his story. He says, look, um, Rachel and Leah, God has been with me. And I have been incredibly successful because God has taken your father's sheep and he's given them to me. I didn't do this. God did it, right? Uh, We need to be very clear when we are successful, the source of that success, God did it, not me, right? Where we have any success in our life, where God has accomplished anything in and through us, it is because he has been with us and he's done the work. Let me close with just one final thought. Uh, And it is about the work of the cross. Um, This is true in general about our work, whether it's as a student, as a a worker, as a missionary, as a servant, full-time vocational ministry. Um, But it takes on a whole different dimension when it comes to the work of Christ on the cross. Uh, If God is the one doing the work in general in the world, how much more is he the one who did his work through the cross? Uh, And what Jacob experienced here is a great picture of really what salvation is to us. Jesus said clearly in John 19, 28, he says, I have completed the work the Father gave me to do. And then he breathed his last and he said, it is finished. God has done all there is to do to bring us salvation. There's nothing we can add to it. There's really nothing we can contribute to it. Jesus has done it all. He is all-sufficient. And his death was all that was required to completely cover our sin, to make us new creatures in Christ, and to give us eternal life. Okay? It's vitally important that we know there's nothing we can add to that, right? There's nothing we can do to contribute to the work of God making us righteous before God. It's a work he's completely done himself. Um, We cannot add to it. We cannot improve it. We cannot contribute to it. Uh, And yet, how often do we feel when we sin and we fail that we need to do something to atone for our sin, right? Ever feel that way? Um, uh, we don't really believe in penance anymore, so it's, none of us go to the priest and say, Father, I have sinned. What can I do to make up for this? And he says, go out and, you know, pick up trash for three hours. We don't do that so much anymore. What we tend to do instead is just beat ourselves up. Oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm such an awful person. I'm such a sinner, Right? Uh, thinking that somehow we will add to Christ's work by beating ourselves up, by feeling guilty, by feeling bad. We will add to the work of Christ. Uh, Or worse yet, we will try to do good things and we'll try to be a good person in order to contribute to the work of Christ. Well, I know I was bad yesterday, but I'm going to be good today and I'm going to make up for it. You're not going to make up for anything because Jesus has paid it all, right? So does that mean you don't have to be a good person? Well, in a sense, yes. You don't have to be a good person to be saved. You don't have to be a good person to add to Christ's work. Right? Um, we have been given fully the righteousness of Christ. 
What we do need to do is to live and walk in that righteousness. Colossians 1 puts it this way. Colossians 1.22. Paul writes, Yet now God has reconciled to you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence and you are, you are, okay, you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Amen. Okay, you stand before God because of the blood of Christ, because of his death. You stand before God perfect, absolutely without a single fault or blemish. And there's nothing you did to, to make yourself that way. Nothing. There's nothing you or I did to contribute to that, to add to that. And the good news is tomorrow you're going to go out and you're going to do something stupid. It's a prophecy I'm making. Somebody's going to cut you off and you're going to just want to kill somebody. Your spouse is going to say something or do something and you're going to say something really stupid back. Okay, that's what I'm going to do because I'm good at that, apparently. Um, And you know what? you're still going to stand before God absolutely spotless. Right? Because it's the work of God. It is His work in us to produce in us the righteousness of Christ. And it is a done deal. He has produced. You are holy and blameless. It is done. It is finished. So does that mean we don't work? Well, Paul also says in Philippians 2, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Does it mean we don't do anything? Well, not at all. We are called to walk and live in obedience. Okay? Our, our love for God is carried out through a life of obedience to Him. Right? Do we do something? Yes. Uh, we don't do something to make ourselves better. We don't do anything to produce in us the works of salvation. But we do do something to live out those works in daily obedience. So we do have a work to do. Uh, And part of that work is inward as we live a faithful life and seek to walk in obedience to Christ, seek to live out His righteousness. Also, God's given us a work in the world to do His work, to go and make disciples. Uh, to bring his gospel to the nations. But it's a work that he's already done. We just go bend nails with him, right? We just go participate with him as he unfolds this work in us and in the world around us. And in the end, the greatest thing we can do is is to be filled with thanksgiving and praise, acknowledging the true source of our success. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you so much that you have finished your work. And it is indeed your powerful and mighty work. Lord, you created the universe. You created everything in it. You created us. and You created us with a plan and a purpose. You called us to, to the plan you have for us. A plan to prosper us and to make us successful. But it's a work, really, you've already accomplished. It's a work that you are faithfully doing in our lives as you are in us and with us. Lord, help us to keep these things in balance. 
to understand that it's ultimately you who does the work. But at the same time, you call us to labor diligently, to walk in obedience, to serve you in love, uh, to work out our salvation in faithful obedience, realizing all along that it's really you who is accomplishing all the effects. Lord, help us to be hard workers for you and your kingdom. As a gift of worship to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.